old habits die hard. But the pandemic pushed the evolution of retail forward to the best part of a decade. And as a result, adopting an integrated omni-travel model became a necessity for many businesses who wanted to meet consumer demand. But is it realistic to expect an in-store model developed almost over 100 years to change practically overnight? Welcome to Retail Focus, the Retail Systems Podcast. I'm Will McCurdy, Content Editor of Retail Systems, and today we're going to look at how retailers can make the transition to omni-channel retail without tiers. The traditional model where e-commerce and brick and mortar elements of a business were siloed may well have worked fine in the past, but now the omni-channel model is becoming a larger part of retailers' businesses. The usefulness of previous organizational structures when it comes to finance, logistics, and planning is being tested. As a result, retailers are turning towards new technologies to provide real-time or real near-time updates on inventory, pricing, promotion, carriers, tax, and fraud as part of efforts to make omni-channel work for them. To further explore these challenges, as well as impossible solutions, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Steve Ross, Global Omni-Channel Solution Principal at Aptos. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Steve. Great to see you again. Thank you, Will. Really happy to be here. The last session was great, and I'm really looking forward to uh, the discussion today. Yeah, so I can't wait to build on that. So uh, jumping straight in, in your experience, which parts for retail businesses adapt best to Omnichannel? Surprisingly, it's the stores. The stores, in my opinion, they're the early adopters, if you will, to Omnichannel. I really see that over the course of the years because the stores are really seeing the brunt of the move away from the old model. So if you're working in a store or you're managing a store or a group of stores, like I've done all of those, you know, you're seeing your traffic start to dwindle as customers move away from that only in-store model. And if you're in a store, you're seeing that every single day. And now what you're seeing is that walk-in traffic being replaced by that e-commerce traffic. And suddenly you're seeing new people back in your store. So it's really the store. I spent a lot of time in my career trying to figure out how to make the store's lives easier. And as we've gone through this, what we found out is the stores are the easy ones. It's, it's other areas that are tougher. Linking into what you just discussed, could you talk about the parts of a retailer that prove more of a challenge when it comes to shifting to omnichannel? It's really the back of the house operations within a retailer. I think in your introduction, you touched on processes that have developed over almost 100 years and having them change overnight. It's that process in the, in the back office of a retailer. And what I mean by that is it's merchandising, it's planning, it, to some extent it's finance and you know a little bit of buying. But it's that whole back end of the house because many retailers have a brick and mortar planning team and they plan the stores. And they may also have a separate e-commerce planning team. And when suddenly you're omni-channel, those two functions now need to merge. So you're looking at organizational change. You're looking at change management in a, a way that you haven't in a retailer in many, many years. So you look at the finance operation, not the sexiest part of being a retailer, but uh, very critical. And now suddenly on the finance side, you know, it's things like it's an omni-channel sale. Who gets credit for that sale? Does it go to the store? 
Does it go to e-commerce? Who gets labor credit for that sale? Uh, especially if a sale might be split between multiple locations. So the retailer on the back end needs to think in ways that they've never thought before. And that's where I see the biggest obstacles to change to moving to a, a truly omni-channel model. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the consumer facing element of the stores themselves is really just the tip of the iceberg. People don't necessarily consider all the backroom elements, like you said, and all of the effort that needs to go in from a finance perspective, from a merchandising perspective, from a logistics standpoint to make things like click and collect work. And it's not that the business model in itself is necessarily inherently harder, but because it's new, it requires all these different elements for the retailer to make the transition, just overcome new challenges and new issues, which they might not have faced before. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a, a retailer to make that transition into omnichannel, I mean, what I used to tell people was it's a crawl, walk, run mentality. And that, that was kind of like pre-COVID. You can kind of like take your time and work your way in. Now... It, kind of that crawl phase is it's very short and you're you're walking and suddenly you're running and what i tell folks is you know to be really planful about what you're going to be doing because certain parts of omnichannel have a greater effect on the back office than others so if you're doing click and collect click and collect it is easy from a store back office and a corporate back office perspective, because for the most part, really all you're doing is you're taking that walking customer who would have come in and picked something up. And now all they're doing is they're buying it online and then they're coming into your store later on to pick it up. So there's not a lot of change um, from a, a merchandise planning perspective. You're still going to be planning that same inventory that goes into the store. They're picking it up as a click and collect. It's really, really easy. When you start moving into the fill from store, that's when things really start to break down. And the, the reason they do is because planners have traditionally, and I used to be one, over the last hundred years, I haven't you know, done the entire hundred years, but I've done my chunk planned inventory going in for that walk-in customer. And it was very, very predictable. You'd go through and say, okay, based on the macroeconomic trends, you know, I'm going to go through and plan a 2% increase. And the buyers would go through and say, well, this is going to be the hot new trend. And then you plan your inventory, and your store allocations around that. And you know, I was a planner for a number of years. I don't want to say it's easy, but it's easier than it is today. But now you, as a planner, how do you plan for that walk-in customer that's coming in and for that ship from store or fulfill from store order that's coming in that could be 20 to 40 or even 50% of the store's business. So you know, you're planning that inventory for that walk-in customer but half the inventory is walking out the back door, shipping out the back door with a uh, DHL or a FedEx or a, a UPS driver. And that's the rub right now as far as the transition for most omnichannel uh, retailers. 
So uh, pulling things back slightly, uh, looking at more of the, the picture as a whole, what would be the advice you would give to retailers approaching transitioning to omni-channel generally? And I'm, I'm going to use the same word that we touched on in our prior podcast, which is be planful. Think about what do you want to do? So if you're going to start with click and collect, that's not going to have a, a real big impact on your back of house. It'll have an impact on your stores. So plan through that. And if you're moving into uh, the fill from store or pick up in store, then you need to go through and think about, all right, if 20% of my business or 20% of my inventory, let's say, for a given store is going to ship to an e-commerce customer, how do I plan for that? How do I create a financial plan for that? How do I replenish back in uh, to that? And if I'm a finance person, how do I include that in the store's financial plan or in their incentive plan? So, you know, what I tell people is, you know, I'm a, a big fan of, uh, all right, I'm going to be a bit of a geek. I'm into Dungeons and Dragons is, you know, game it out, uh, go through and figure out what happens if X, you know, you can literally sit down and run a, uh, a simulation uh, like a dungeon master would, of, okay, 20% of my inventory is going to be going out my back door. 30% of my inventory is going to go out my back door. We have some uh, clients where literally half of the inventory that goes into a store doesn't walk out with a customer, it walks out with a, uh, a carrier. So work through that, uh, work through what are the impacts to your distribution network, to your DCs, to your merchandise planning process. And it's a lot easier to go through and simulate that or kind of game through it than it is to learn it on the fly as you're doing it. I've been there. I've done it on the fly, and uh, I, I recommend uh, doing some sort of uh, a simulation of what that would look like. So, you know, that's what I really tell people. It used to be crawl, walk, run, but now it's it's almost like it's jog, run, sprint. So, yeah, that, that's what I would look at. Be very, very planful about what you want to do. And if it doesn't work, pull back, rethink, and then try again, try again try again eventually you'll get the right mix for your business yeah exactly the technology has advanced so much in the past decade that companies just have the tools available to them to be more planful than ever before and to actually run stimulations to see how realistically these factors are going to affect their business models in a way they might not have been able to do 20 years ago mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things that we at Aptos, we acquired a, a company uh, called Revionics, who's well known for its data science team, its AI and machine learning. And that for, for our application is actually one of the things that we're looking to build into it in the future is, you know, something we're calling sandboxing, where you can go through and look at changes, those type of changes, and see what are the impacts to your distribution network by running that simulation through a AI uh, decision engine, I basically call it Skynet uh, with the Reviotics team. But the idea is that it, it just gets better and better over time uh, as far as predicting 
that behavior. And uh, it, it goes through and we'll let you know, you know, what's the most profitable activity for your business. Because if you're a retailer who's selling 1,500 pound handbags on High Street, or if you're a retailer who's selling 15 pound jumpers, you're going to need different strategies. So we always recommend go through and model that out so that you can see what the impact is to your business. Because at the end of the day, you want to be profitable. But for your customer, you also want to be efficient and effective and give them a great experience day in, day out. And you know the prior model took 100 years to build, and it was very kind of pick and shovel, trial and error. And luckily, now we've got technology that can help us build that new model faster using data. Yeah, I mean, trial and error, it's a good way to learn, but it's not necessarily as necessary as it was in the past. People now have the tools to do that trial and error process virtually and not actually have to make mistakes in the real world, where it has the potential to be a lot more damaging and obviously a lot more expensive. Exactly. And that's one of the things I've learned as I work with our Revionics uh, data science team. And what I will say is that AI and machine learning has challenges of its own. So in that area, you know, what I tell people, now I go back to my old mantra, which is crawl, walk, run, figure out how you're going to use, um, use that and build up that data science experience either within your organization or partner with somebody who's already got a strong background in it. And you know, we're really proud of the work that our Revionics team uh, does. They primarily work on pricing, but as we brought them on in January of 2020, they've started to branch out into Omnichannel and they're actually actively working with us right now on building a data-driven decision engine for Omnichannel. And they're actually working with us. We're in the nascent stages of building out some reporting and dashboards for our clients around profitability for Omnichannel and building out those predictive models. So we see more of that coming in the next few years. So moving on, I know we've touched on early in the conversation the process of getting brick and mortar stores to convert to Omnichannel. But what's your point of view on repurposing and incentivizing brick and mortar stores for Omnichannel fulfillment? You have to incent the stores. In my opinion, it's not even a discussion. It's one of the few times in my career where, as I talk to people, when they say, well, we don't need to do X for the store, I just tell them they're wrong. Normally from a consultant or somebody in my role, you get the it depends answer. You don't get that from me on incentivizing the store. You have to. And the reason for that is real easy. I've actually seen it in, in real life where stores did not receive their sales credit or a credit towards their plan or in their incentive. And I've seen orders come into a store where the order came in, the store manager accepted the order, and the store manager went through five items and went, okay, those two are clearance. I don't want those. So I'm going to fill those two. But those three other three items, those are new. I can sell those. So they short the order. And they're just, you know, that's not in stock. And I went through and asked the store manager about why would you do that? And their answer was uh, very revealing. And I use this all the time now. And that person said, well, that's not my customer. That, you know, that online customer is not my customer. 
And if you go into a store that is incentivized, where that is part of their plan, that is their customer. I've seen retail stores that will actually go out of their way to go through and get additional omni-channel orders so they can drive additional sales. I had this one store in, of all places, like West Nyack, New York, and they realized that they had a Staples in the mall. So they actually would get their, order, their, their orders. And we had a, you know, you set a capacity per store. Say you can handle like 20 orders a day, maybe, or 30 orders a day. So they would get their 20 or 30 orders. They'd fill them and they would actually put them on a trolley and roll them down to the Staples store and get them scanned. And the way that our system worked and almost every order management system works is that when they get scanned, they're considered shipped and suddenly your queue empties and you can do more orders. So this store figured out how to um, handle like 100 or 200 orders a day. So I'm not recommending stores do that, but that store owned that business. It was the exact opposite of what I saw in that prior store where they were like, that's not my customer. So the most important thing is to incentivize the store, make that online sale part of the store's plan. They are, it's part of their bonus structure. Uh, go through and plan labor into that store so that they can handle 100 or 200 uh, orders a day because that's the equivalent of say two full-time people during the course of the day, picking, packing, and shipping. So that's the store side. On the back office side, what I would say is you really need to think about how you want to leverage your stores. Not every store is created equally. I wish you know every store in a chain was you know, an A-level store on High Street or on Michigan Avenue in Chicago or you know, on uh, Fifth Avenue in New York and did that kind of business. They don't. You have a lot of what I used to call and so-called like C-level or D-level stores that are in little towns or less than desirable locations in terms of traffic. And so you think about what do you want to use that store for? Do you want to use that store as a mini distribution center? Do you want to load, it, load a store up with additional inventory and um, additional fixtures and possibly racking, but definitely additional labor and turn a store into a little mini warehouse that could cover different parts of London or different parts of Manchester or different parts of Birmingham? You probably for London, you, know, you take like probably five or six stores, turn them into little mini distribution centers. And suddenly you've got London covered for next day delivery, possibly even same day delivery. Then you can also look at those same stores and figure out if you want to use a hub and spoke model where, you know, well, I don't know if you've experienced this. I certainly have where, um, you know, I ordered something from Amazon the other day, three items. I got three different packages. That is just crazy from a profit perspective. You can use those stores as a hub and spoke model consolidate orders into say the hub and then do a single delivery to the customer. Because I know about anyone wants to get three, four, five, six packages from the same retailer. I mean, my record in my career, I actually had an order break into 18 different shipments. And so that customer received 
18 different parcels from us. So long story short, definitely incentivize the stores and definitely plan through how you want to use them in this new omni-channel world. Yeah, I think a lot of the points you highlighted are really important because a store might be selling the same line of products or the same clothes as, as one in a different geographical location, but they're entirely different assets. A store on Oxford Street in London is an entirely different asset to a business than one in Northern Scotland. Ultimately, they have completely different use cases. They have completely different capacities for business from a logistics and fulfillment perspective, and they should be used accordingly. And it's something that businesses need to understand at the higher level. Yeah, I've got stores that, I mean, really wouldn't exist in my past career if it weren't for Omnichannel. We would have closed them. There wasn't enough business, enough walk-in business to sustain them, to maintain the overhead costs. And they were, as a retailer, I mean, every single month, if you're in operations, you review leases, you're reviewing stores that, who do I keep open? Who do I put on a potential close list? Who do I put on a remodel list? And I'd say a good 10% of my store fleet survived because we transitioned them into omni-channel distribution centers. And uh, to your point, not every store is created you know, equally well. You wouldn't want that store on High Street that goes through and has a tremendous amount of walk-in customers to be your prime omni-channel distribution store. You wouldn't because you would be cannibalizing sales from that store. Uh, you literally would be pulling product out the back door that you definitely, definitely would sell out the front door. Whereas in some of those C and D level stores, you know, that's just going to be a markdown for you. There's no way around it. You're just going to mark that down if you don't ship it out the back door. So what you end up doing in those retail stores is just dramatically improving their profitability over time. And instead of them being a weight around your neck as a retailer, they suddenly are uh, shining stars in the organization because they've got a new purpose, a new lease on life. So linking into that, um, I just wanted to touch on how important you feel the cultural and brand identity piece is when it comes to moving a more traditional retailer towards the omni-channel model. Your brand and your culture, they're paramount. The brand that the customer experiences in the omni-channel model, it really shouldn't change. If you pride yourself on great customer service, and a lot of retailers do, then in the omni-channel world, you provide great customer service. So if you've got a click and collect sale for a customer that's walking in, it's ready for her when she walks in. And before then, it is ready within 30 minutes, if not better, of when she puts that order in. It doesn't take a couple hours. It definitely doesn't take a day. One of my worst experiences early on was it took forever to do a, a, a click and collect order, but, but she expects the communication back to her within 30 minutes. She expects that when she comes into the store, uh, that she can be in and out within a few minutes. And so having that great customer experience that she would get in the store extends into the omni-channel world. And she also expects that, and, you know, this extends a little bit past the kind of the omni-channel of inventory, is that you know her. 
you know her in any channel. So your customer relationship applications extend into your e-commerce world, into your brick and mortar world, into a mobile point of sale, so that whichever channel she chooses to interact with your brand, you know her. And then the other side is that for most of omni-channel, especially for the fill from store, all of that should be completely transparent to your customer. You know, I've been doing this for a lot of years. When my wife gets a package, I can tell a package that uh, came from a distribution center versus a package that was picked, packed, and shipped from a store. She can't tell the difference. So to put it in perspective, 80% of Omnichannel is shipped from store in some uh, fashion or another. And that 80%, the customer should be um, oblivious to, except for the fact that instead of it taking four or five days to deliver to her, she's getting it now in a day or two, but she shouldn't know where it came from. The only thing she should know is that your brand is now delivering to her faster with what she wants. Yeah, ultimately, um, the vast majority of consumers aren't thinking about supply chains involved in their goods. They aren't thinking about how the product has been delivered. They're not thinking about what's going on behind the scenes in the warehouses, what the retailer is doing. All they're thinking about is the customer service, which they themselves experience uh, the end product. And ultimately, that's what retailers need to be thinking about, despite what's going on behind the scenes as a route land. It should be transparent. What your brand means to your customer today, you need to preserve that or make it better as you move into omnichannel. Uh, for her, what she sees in your brand, it's not like, hey, we can do buy online, pick up from store, or we can do fulfill from store. And suddenly she's going to have a different perspective. She will have a different perspective if her orders are canceled. And she will have a different perspective if when she walks in, her orders aren't ready. But that's why it is important that what is important to you as a retailer, what is important to you as a brand just extends. And it, again, it's being planful. And operationally, if things aren't working, pull back, rethink, redeploy, and work on it until you're great at it. It's one of the, the really great things about Omnichannel is you've got that ability to pull back, rethink, and redeploy in a very, very cost-effective manner in a way that you don't in the old brick-and-mortar-only world. So one more thing which I wanted to touch on is um, it's a pretty big elephant in the room, but could we talk about how the move to Omnichannel uh, typically impacts a retailer's IT systems? Okay. My opinion is there's suddenly a demand for a, more accuracy. You've got to be accurate. You've got to have good information. And you've got to have that information in real or near real time. So you know, I'll, go, I'll go back to the old days when, when I started. You may not understand this, Will, but back in the old days, there used to be magnetic tapes that like you'd store your store's information on as it went through the store system. And my job, my first job, was a store operator was to take that big magnetic tape off of the computer in the back of the store and I would ship it to head office every single day. 
And that's how we downloaded sales. So about a day later, two days later, head office, we get our sales and they would be decremented out of the audit system. God, I'm aging myself. But that's how things worked for a long, long time. It was like overnight batch systems or next day systems. Omnichannel doesn't work in that world. Omnichannel needs to work in the world of real time information. We need to know that you just sold that red jumper in a large in the store in Oxfordshire. We need to know that because we've got that inventory built into our system. And there's a uh, customer in Glasgow who's looking online and that red jumper is in stock and we're gonna assign it to be shipped to that customer in Glasgow. And if that information isn't right, you get this set of cascading failures, orders that won't be fulfilled, orders that get moved from one supplier to another and things go wrong very, very quickly. So the demand on the IT systems is A, for your accuracy, and is B, for going through and working in real time or near real time. And then as that system is working, it is integrating with all of the other systems in a real or near real time uh, manner. So pricing, promotion, inventory, fraud, tax. So, you know, when I demo our, our order management system, what really amazes people is they're like, show us order creation. And I'm like, okay, I'll go in and build an order. And I'm like, did you see that? Well, what do you mean? I go, I click purchase. That's order creation. It happens in the, literally in the blink of an eye where the system goes through and looks at inventory availability. What's your latest price? Where is that inventory? What's the capacity of your network at that moment? It goes through in that moment, calculates tax, looks at fraud, goes to your payment provider for authorization, and then starts looking for carriers, and then assigns the order to the best location based on rules that you have selected. That happens literally in the blink of an eye. I literally cannot show it to people. I have to like slow it down and show it to people as we demo, because it happens so quickly. You know, the old days, overnight batch processing or that magnetic tape, those days are gone. Things are in real time. And you know, it used to be like a year or two ago, things could update like every 15 minutes or so. Now we're updating like literally every 30 seconds. And you need that because on a Black Friday or Cyber Monday, uh, that inventory is being pulled out of your stores and your Omni customer and your in-store customer are both looking for that product simultaneously in the same location. So from an IT perspective, a lot of your legacy systems, they remain the same. They just need to work faster and they need to work a little bit smarter. And then order management sits really in the middle of all of that for an omni-channel retailer. But yeah, it's a, it's a whole new world as the song does. Yeah, real-time IT, um infrastructures are really the fundamental basis of making all of this stuff work. I mean, omnichannel in the way that we're talking about it now just wouldn't be possible unless you had cloud-based systems, unless you're able to make these updates in, in a few minutes. Just what we're talking about would not be possible if we were still um, in the era of packing up the magnetic tape and physically sending it away somewhere. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, when we sit down with 
prospective clients, that's one of the first things we ask is, okay, how often do you update your inventory? And I still occasionally get retailers to do an overnight batch of inventory updates, which is fine if you're just breaking order. But once you go omni-channel, those days are done. And that, that's the first thing that we tell people is we need to move to a more real-time update of your inventory system that will pull in uh, information from your point of sale, that'll pull in uh, receipts, that'll pull in your latest and greatest information from your distribution centers. And actually the real challenge that we're seeing right now is that more and more of our clients are actually looking backstream at their vendors to do fulfillment. So suddenly you've got a whole new angle because it's a nice way for a retailer to reduce their inventory level and improve their cash flow is to have their vendor go through and do a pick, pack, and ship. We've got a footwear retailer that we work with that basically they don't want to carry size 15 triple E's. And for a UK audience, let me just say that a 15 triple E is basically the same as taking the shoe box that your shoe came in and putting that around your foot. It's huge. So they don't want to carry those. Their vendor has them. So now we've got vendors who are being integrated into omni-channel and are actually doing the pick, pack, and ship on fringe size product. So yeah, it's having that on that information in real or near real time and making it all happen because that's what she expects today. You can't do same day or next day delivery if you don't have that. And that's what she expects. You know, 90% of customers uh, define fast delivery as next day delivery these days. Yeah, and all of these evolutions uh, in terms of the retail infrastructure, they do actually ultimately benefit consumers because the examples we made about people with massive feet, I mean, 10 years ago, these people would definitely have been more of a disadvantage when it came to retail, when it came to getting what they needed. But now, even over the pandemic, because we've had this level of advancement in terms of click and collect and omni-channel, they're able to get the shoes they need without anywhere near the same level of fuss because we've had those updates to the IT systems at the back end. We've had this evolution in terms of logistics infrastructure, and it has, in some sense, benefited consumers. Oh yeah, most definitely. From a consumer perspective, it's like a golden age. Everything's at your fingertips. I actually had a conversation with my daughter the other day about what shopping was like pre-internet. She just looked at me like I was from another world. I've never felt so old in my life. But um, we'd be like, yeah, you go into a store, try things on. If they didn't have it in stock, somebody would get on the phone and see if they had it in stock in, in another store. She's like, can you just look that up on your phone? And I'm like, not then. I go, now you can. But all of this technology in these cloud-based systems makes everything work. And at Aptos, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is kind of the interconnectivity of our retail application suite. We have a merchandise planning application and a forecasting application and point of sale systems and a warehouse management system and CRM, a customer relationship system and order management. And they all work together seamlessly. And you really need that to make things work. And if you don't, you kind of cobble things together. We've got clients with very old legacy systems and we can cobble things together and make them work. And over time, we move them into more modern applications, but you don't need to have the most modern applications to get started and to make things work for you. So just as we draw things to a close, 
looking forward, what type of emerging technologies are the retailers you're working with looking towards to make the transition omni-channel easier? AI and machine learning. Folks are looking for predictive modeling. The thing is that, and Will, I'm not sure, if you look at a order routing engine, a order routing engine, it's really random. It's like dropping something from a height, you know, kind of down a tree and it, it hits from branch to branch to branch to branch. It's very, very random. And the reason it's very, very random is because things happen, you know, store A might be the most ideal place to put an order, but they're at capacity. They can't take any more orders. So now you've got to go through and put it to store B, which is a suboptimal place to put it. So store B goes through and fills the order and store B suddenly goes through and realizes that part of that order is damaged. So they fill one piece and other two pieces go to another supplier. So now you've got an order where your order management system said, you know, the best place to put it is store A. And in actuality, it has now been split between store A, store B, and store C. So that is what drives planners crazy. But that is the sort of chaos that a artificial intelligence or a machine learning system does. When I described that situation to our Revionics team, like their eyes suddenly uh, brightened up. And that's the sort of thing that a retailer needs to help them with merchandise planning. Because, you know, I, I think I said at the beginning, you know, I used to be a planner and I plan up a 2% increase. And, you know, the buyers would give me, you know, what are the hot items? We, we build a plan. Can't do that anymore. So you can bring that AI and machine learning not only into the order management application, but we're bringing it into uh, merchandise planning and into allocation and into other applications in our suite to help our retailers plan better, allocate better. But that is what we see all the time with every single request for uh, proposal or information that comes across my desk. Every single one has, do you have AI and machine learning? And if so, how is it incorporated into your application? And how is it incorporated into your wider suite? And I will tell you with order management providers, there aren't very many out there. I mean, I can count them on you know, a couple of fingers that actually have data science incorporated into their application or have even a data science team to incorporate it into their application in the future. And this is something that we are actively working on right now. We're in prototype phase to put into our application next year. But if we hadn't have acquired the Revionics, that would be something we would still be trying to, uh, to figure out. So AI, machine learning, and on that, I definitely recommend a crawl, walk, run, uh, because it is so new and partnering up with a, a really good data science partner to figure out what you need and to ask the right questions. That's number one. Yeah, AI is something which is coming up in almost every industry I work with and almost every company I talk to. I mean, there's just so much data nowadays and it needs to be used as best as it can be, but that's simply not possible for humans to do. There's so far beyond the capacity of human planners, AI nowadays for retailers and in fact for 
practically every major company. It's becoming a necessity. There's just no way to make the decisions that need to be made without it. And it's not going to be going away anytime soon. It's just going to get a bigger and bigger part of the world we live in, for better or worse. Yeah, it is what it is. Things don't get easier. I wish they did. Uh, I just don't see that happening. And, and customers, you know, there's this whole thing. We brought it up in the last podcast. There's this, uh, what I call the omni-channel of stuff, which is about inventory. And it's the omni-channel of, say, the last 20 years of where's my inventory, optimizing my inventory, buy from anywhere, fulfill from anywhere. But kind of where I see the next phase of omni-channel moving is that omni-channel of data. And it's understanding who you are as a customer and being able to relate to you regardless of which channel you're shopping with me on, whether you're in my store, you're on your phone, you're in your office, actually on a a PC, or you're on a, a social media site. We know you regardless of where you are. We know your history. We're able to make recommendations. We're able to know that you're into X, you're into uh, camping or trekking or rock climbing. And oh, by the way, this store of ours near you that has that product. And you see some retailers starting to uh, dabble into that right now. Um, And I bring up camping and uh, rock climbing because, you know, REI is doing that right now where they have very, very personalized recommendations around your history and how they interact with you. And you see more and more retailers moving down that road. And that's kind of the, what I consider the next frontier in omnichannel as the omnichannel of stuff and inventory just becomes table stakes. And the next phase will be into how we uh, leverage data around our customers and their purchase history. And then we leverage that data around aggregate purchases as a retailer around optimizing your store network optimizing labor, optimizing planning and forecasting and uh, an allocation. So that is really exciting to me because I really see that as a very nascent trend. And it's kind of where the omni-channel of inventory was, say, 20 years ago. Thanks so much, Steve. I think that's a really good point to end it on, just with the levels of opportunity which retailers are now seeing in the future, their technology is supporting them in terms of optimizing sort of every part of their business and their workflow, the new tech, which we have available to us. Thanks again for the time. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. And uh, I'd like to say goodbye to our listeners as well. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Great. Thank you. Well, everybody have a great day.